Many of us have uh, funny stories that are attached to scars on our bodies. You'll go, hey, where did you get that? And there's a, well, it's kind of a funny story. And so we'll tell each other these stories about the, the wounds that we've gotten in the past. But sometimes those stories aren't so funny. Sometimes they're, they're rather dumb. They're reflections of kind of our not so fine moments. And a few weeks ago, I stumbled on a video that was entitled 75 Reasons That Women Live Longer Than Men. Uh, I don't have time to show you the whole video, but I did want to give you a taste of it. So watch the screens. You know, while a lot of us have funny stories attached to our wounds like that, the the challenge is that for a lot of us, the story is not so funny. Um, And we come in today, like as Jamie said, from not the greatest place and not the greatest moment. And uh, years ago, I stumbled on a quote that for me is the way that I try to speak on Sunday mornings. And it's this quote from Aristotle who said, be kind because everyone you meet is in the middle of a great battle. And that's when I speak to you on Sunday, that's, that's what I try to have as my lens through which I see you. That you come in from a week in the middle of a great struggle and all of you are doing the best that you can. The challenge is in this day and in this era, we feel super tempted to project a very different picture from this though. We like to project a picture that we have it all together, that we're not struggling that things aren't hard. As my friend Paul says, he says, we're all struggling, yet we're all struggling to make it look like we're not struggling. And this isn't just a problem that happens on social media. It's a problem that happens here on Sundays. I I grew up uh, kind of spending my whole life at the church. My dad's been a pastor for over 35 years. And so Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Wednesday night, every night in between, I was at church. This was the world that I knew more and better than any other world. And in that era of my life, there was a a thing that was known as your Sunday best. You you wore your Sunday best to church. And so on Saturday, my parents would say, hey, what are you going to wear to church? And I'd pull out some of my nicer clothes. And my dad was the best ironer in our house. And so you make sure that it was in his room before you went to bed. And wake up the next morning, it'd be hanging on your doorknob when you get ready to go to church. And and I grew up watching my dad kind of wear a a suit and a tie every week to preach. Well, things have obviously changed. (laughs) Our culture has gotten more casual. Um, And Sunday best... If you grew up in that era, or if this is new to you, is a mixed bag. Sunday best is a mixed bag. There's some pros to it, and the pros are that that it brought a sense of intentionality. For many, it brought a sense of reverence and seriousness about church. Uh, the, The downside, though, was that many of us came to church in our Sunday best, but but not telling the truth. You know, you'd get in a fight on the way to church, and your mom would say, "Now put on a fake face and let nobody know that we had a fight in the car." Or you'd have a couple that was just at each other's throats all week, and at church they were the perfect couple. And so when they got divorced, everybody was like, what happened? I didn't see this coming. See, the challenge with Sunday best is that sometimes we put on our best clothes, but they brought a sense of fakeness. We wore our best, and we thought we had to bring our best, which meant we couldn't actually bring the true versions of ourselves. Which meant that for some of us, Sunday became the least honest hour in our week. And our goal and intent as a church, our vision, is for the hour you spend here on Sunday morning and the couple hours you spend in your community every week, for those to be the most honest hours in your week, not the least. Because we believe that God is far more concerned with what's happening 
underneath your clothes than the clothes you came to church in. And sometimes we get caught up in the form and we lose out on the essence of what really matters. Today, I want to talk to you about what is true underneath your Sunday best, and that's the state of your heart. I want to talk about wounds today and the places where a lot of us live. And I want to define a couple terms that I've been wrestling with, and those terms are woundedness and brokenness. You've got a chart on your handout that you got when you walked in, and I want to kind of lay some foundation before we dive into our main text today. I think there's a huge difference with what we do with our wounds, and some of us end up in a state of woundedness, while others of us ended up in a state of brokenness. And here's some of the differences. When you're living out of woundedness, someone who's living out of woundedness, they, this person is their limp. Like, they are what happened to them. They are their wound. It defines them. People who move into a a spirit of brokenness, they have a limp. It's part of their life, but it isn't them. You all know people that the the worst thing that ever happened to them is the totality of them. It is their identity. They are their limp, while other people have a limp. Second, woundedness is living from your wound, while brokenness is living with a wound. We all know people, and some of us ourselves fit in this category where when we've been hurt, everything comes out of that hurt. Everything's informed by that hurt. That, 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 that wound is the place where we live. It's our address. It's, it's where everything comes from and where everything goes. That's different than, than having a wound. It's just kind of part of your life along with everything else. It's one of many features. Big difference. There's a big difference between seeing people through your wound and seeing people with wounds. Some of you in the room wear glasses, and some of you in the room wear a different kind of glasses, and it's your wound. You see everybody through your wound, and like tinted glasses, it tints every picture. You expect everybody to be like everybody else in the past who hurt you. You expect everybody in the future to do what everybody did to you in the past. That's very different than seeing people with wounds. When I, when I was younger, there was a movie that came out before there was a, such a thing called Spoiler Alerts, and the movie was called The Sixth Sense. There was a big spoiler in the movie that Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. If you're mad, the movie's over 20 years old, so you should have seen it by now. <laughs> but the key line in the movie was, I see dead people. Well, today I don't see dead people, I see wounded people. And for some of you, you can't get over your wound to be able to see anybody else's. Woundedness means that your wound is unhealed in you and it's hurtful to other people. In brokenness, your wound is healed by Jesus and it becomes helpful to others. I know some of you, this is going to be a hard thing to wrap your head around, but part of what we're going to talk about today is that part of the reason that Jesus is so good is he takes our wound and he makes it something that actually serves others. What was intended to hurt you actually ends up helping other people. In, in woundedness, we're holding on to our wound and we're refusing to let go. In brokenness, we begin surrendering our wound to Jesus so that he can do something with it. You didn't ask to get hurt, but the problem is some of us are white-knuckling our wounds. And as long as we hold on to it, it can't ever be healed. And then finally, woundedness produces a contempt for ourselves and a contempt for other people. Whereas brokenness brings a compassion for others. 
Some of your wounds in the past have brought you a sense of shame and condemnation for yourself that you just continue to spew out on other people. But when wounds are transformed and woundedness becomes brokenness, it gives us tremendous compassion for others. This is the context I want to set for today as we talk about how Jesus interacted with people who had wounds. So hold on to that section of your handout. We'll come back to it this morning. The central idea, though, that I want to talk about today is this, that in our wounds, we experience Jesus's power and we connect with each other. It's in those places that we have been hurt most deeply and most profoundly that we experience Jesus's power and we connect with each other. Today isn't just me telling you what I think. We're going to dive into the scriptures and explore how the life of Jesus intersects this. So if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open up to two passages, Luke chapter 13 and Matthew chapter nine. So if you have a physical Bible, you might stick your finger in one of these or your bookmark. If you're in a digital Bible, just scroll back and forth. We're going to be in these two texts and we'll be in them in this order. But we're going to look at how Jesus interacted with people who had wounds. And we said in this series we're in called Not Like Me that we're, we're talking about how did Jesus interact with people who were nothing like him. And we're studying it to figure out how we can interact with people who are nothing like us. And in these passages, I think there are at least... Three needed reminders about our wound. Samuel Johnson once said, people need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. And I think some of this for you today will be review, but it's review that you need. And the first reminder, if you're taking notes today, is this, that Jesus meets us in our wounds. Jesus meets us in our wounds. A few years ago, I had the privilege of sitting in a circle with a a group of other writers and authors, and one of the people in that circle was this woman. Her name was Leanna Tankersley. And Leanna's a a writer who was living in San Diego at the time, and I began following her writing. And I stumbled on an article she wrote, which I just so resonated with because I knew the experience. Leanna told the story about how one morning she woke up and she went stumbling, like most of you did this morning, towards your coffee pot, you know, kind of looking for life. She stumbles into her kitchen and she opens her kitchen cabinet where she stores all of her mugs and next to all of her mugs, she finds her coffee pot. (laughs) Apparently the day before she'd poured herself a cup of coffee and instead of putting it back on the the, the pot, she put the carafe in the cabinet and closed the door. And, uh, And every mom in the room is nodding her head going, yep, been there, done that. And so like a lot of us, when she has this moment, her first instinct is, I'm going to pull my phone out, take a photo of this because this will do really good on Facebook and Instagram. She takes a photo, puts her phone away, and as soon as her phone is put away, a, a voice comes cascading into her head, and it's the voice of shame, condemnation. Leanna, you got to get your act together. Leanna, you are a mess. Leanna, how could you not even remember to put the coffee pot in the right place? Leanna, you can post that online, but most of your friends are going to just laugh at you. They're going to think that you don't have it together. They're going to think you don't have what it takes. And so in the place where she discovered this coffee pot, she began to experience a significant amount of condemnation, of shame for this area of weakness in her life. And then God brought a passage to mind for her. And it's a passage that I honestly have stumbled past for years. I I went and read this this week and I was like, 
I don't think I've ever really read this passage, and I think many of you haven't either. It's in Luke 13, where it says, Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now, before I go on, I want you to think about this. 18 years. If you were to go back 18 years from now, that's pre-9-11. It's pre-Facebook. It's pre-smartphone. It's the era of the dumb phone. You thought it was a pretty smart phone back then. 2001. The Diamondbacks were actually good back then. (laughs) They're making progress today, but it's been a long time. 18 years, she was bent over and couldn't fully straighten herself. You think your neck hurts from a bad night of sleep last night. 18 years. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. And Leanna said, I read that passage, that story, and this is what I thought. If this woman had been perfect, without any flaw or malady, she would have never had this intimate encounter with Jesus. I hate that. I think a lot of you do too. You wish, and I wish, that God had orchestrated our world to work, that we could have intimate encounters with him in our strengths. We wish that God would meet us on our best days, and in our best moments, and in those times in which we have it all together. And yet, the scriptures are ripe with stories like this, Where Jesus doesn't meet us in our wins, he meets us in our wounds. And like this woman, if she'd been perfect, she would have never had this intimate encounter with Jesus. And if you were perfect, you would have never needed an intimate encounter with Jesus. Some of you who came today and you didn't come to hear me speak, you came to have an encounter with God. Well, God is not looking to meet you in your wins and in your strength. He's looking to meet you in your wounds. In those places where you need him. And in those places that you wish you didn't have. And the thing is, we all have wounds. And we need to come to terms with that. Years ago, a very popular comedy act began taking our country by storm by this guy. And he, his comedy bit was, you might be a redneck if. It was pretty funny. 
Built a whole career on it. I want to take a little bit of a, a page out of Jeff Foxworthy's book, and I want to say you, you might have a wound if. You might have a wound if you've, in the last week, been angry, and you don't even know why you're angry. You might have a wound if you found yourself hurting somebody else because you're hurting so much. You might have a wound if you found your issues affecting other people in a way you can't control. You might have a wound if you keep getting frustrated that nobody understands and gets you, no matter what arena of life you're in. You might have a wound if you can't seem to come together with people and build strong relationships. You might have a wound if you always end up in fights with people and you're the common denominator in all those fights. You might have a wound if that thing in you just can't heal. You might have a wound. And the good news is that Jesus meets you in that place. So there's not a need to hide it. There's not a need to deny it. The opportunity is to embrace it. Number two, in Jesus, our wounds are not wasted. In Jesus, our wounds are not wasted. Throughout his life, Jesus encountered people who had profound need. In the gospel, you see people talking to Jesus who are lame, paralyzed, leprous, blind, bent, bleeding, mute, and deaf. It seems like the prerequisite to make the life of Jesus in the Bible is real need. Huge wounds. And in the day of Jesus, there was this common belief that if you were dealing with one of these issues, it was either because of one of two reasons. Either you had sinned or your parents had sinned. We see this perspective represented in John 9, where Jesus saw a man blind by birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That's just the view they were raised in and taught as they were growing up. But Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus says, this is an opportunity for me to show you that your wounds are not wasted. This is an opportunity for my glory and character to be shown. And one of those moments is in the book of Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus interacts with what's called a tax collector. Now, most of you just finished your taxes, so you're not super happy with the IRS right now. But in this day, they were even less popular than in our day because tax collectors stole money. They took the taxes for the Romans and something for themselves. And, and because of this, they were despised by society. I found this artistic image of a tax collector the floating purple arm just had me kind of thrown off for a while. But, but you would give money to a tax collector, they would keep some for themselves, and they worked for the Romans who were oppressing the Jews, so no one liked tax collectors, which makes Matthew 9 so interesting. In Matthew 9, Jesus was going on from somewhere, and he saw a man named Matthew, your Bible may say Levi, sitting at the tax booth. And Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. 
And so Matthew rose and followed Jesus. And Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, presumably Matthew's house. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. You would sit down for a meal. So they're all sitting around this giant feast, Jesus and all these guys. And when the Pharisees, the religious people, saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because eating with someone was a sign of friendship and relationship. And when he heard it, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, these tax collectors and notorious sinners, their whole life had known the jeers and the condemnation of people around them for their wounds, their struggles, and their weaknesses. They had known people who jumped on them in their struggles. And some of you knew the same kind of people. You know what your issues are. You have a PhD in your issues. You have a PhD in your wounds. And other people around you seem to think that you may have forgotten those. And so they use the opportunity to hurl things at you in person and online. The problem with things online is that it makes people who are mice, it turns them into lions. They'd never say things to your face like that. But because of the perceived anonymity of our life online, they say those things. And so we think that that we're being condemned for these wounds and that these wounds are nothing that Jesus can use. But in fact, what happens is that everybody sitting at the table is connected because of their wounds. They're all people who've been rejects by society. And yet that was their invitation to the table with Jesus. That's how Matthew invited them all. I'm going to invite all of my friends who would never be invited to a religious meal, and yet they can come and eat with Jesus. It's amazing because Jesus would have never been able to grab this group together, but Matthew was. And Jesus doesn't waste Matthew's wound. He uses it to introduce all of his friends to him. When he'll admit the struggle, God will use it. The same thing will happen in your life too. Here's the thing. What cannot be named cannot be healed. Until you come to the place where you can admit your wound, Jesus can never heal it. Until you can come to the place where you can acknowledge that that thing happened to you and it hurt, it'll never be healed. Moment of honesty. I've spent three years trying to forgive somebody, and the biggest hang-up is I spent the first year denying that it even hurt. And it wasn't until I called it what it was, betrayal, that I began to deal with the pain. The reason that these people were with Jesus is they had no problem admitting their, their struggles and their wounds in stark contrast to the Pharisees. The Pharisees wouldn't acknowledge their wounds. That's why they were on the outside. And Jesus says, I came for you, but you don't think you need me. I came for those who were sick. I'm the physician. I didn't come for people who think they're well. I came to heal. 
And until you'll acknowledge that you actually need healing, I will be of no service to you. And so this morning, I want to invite you into a little bit of an interactive moment. Make sure you're awake this morning, okay? I'm going to put some words on the screen, and I'm going to say them, and I'm going to ask you to repeat them after me, okay? Three words, just three words. I'm going to say them first, then you're going to say them, okay? You ready? Okay? I have wounds. I have wounds. Now, I'm not really sure you believe that, though. I want you to really state it with conviction, okay? We'll try it one more time. I have wounds. I have wounds. And because of that, you're not condemned. You're invited into an encounter with Jesus. And the good news is that he takes those things that you thought were a waste and he uses them. Look at what he says. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is why sometimes our Sunday best gets in the way because it convinces us that we're no longer people who are in need of what Jesus is offering. I really don't care what you wear to church. What I care about is what you do when you come. And do you bring authenticity or do you bring hypocrisy? Do you come bringing your need or do you come as if everyone else around you is those who are in need? Remember back to the chart? Woundedness is holding on to your wound. Brokenness is surrendering your wound to Jesus. And every day, not just on Sundays, you get an opportunity to give those things that have hurt you and cut you and are the places where you are in need. You can either hold on to them yourself and not let go of them, or you can give them to Jesus and they can begin to be the things that he uses, which is number three. Our wounds can connect us with others in ways our strengths will never match. Our wounds can connect us with others in ways our strengths will never match. Now, I don't know all of you, but I have a hunch. And my hunch is this. My hunch is that your preference when it comes to building relationships is your strengths and your best moments. I've summarized that in these two emojis right here. My hunch is that you would rather build friendships through people who have the same strengths as you, the same things that you're good at, and your best moments. You know, you go into a room, meet people for the first time, what do you start asking? What do you do? Typically, it's what you do for a job that you're good enough to get paid at it, you know? Or or you talk about the things that you're proud of, your relationships, your accomplishments. Most of us don't go, so tell me what you discussed with your counselor this week. Or tell you about your worst moment, like in your first conversation. We, we don't lead with those things. And what I find so interesting is that if you were to walk into a group of alcoholics, you would find a group of people who are connected through their wound. You walk into a support group of women who are battling breast cancer, you would find a profound connection in that room. You walk into a parenting group of children who have special needs. 
you would find this profound connection. People not coming as if they have it all together. People coming out of their needs and their weaknesses and their struggles. I love how Sheila Walsh says it. She says, your brokenness is a better bridge to others than your pretend wholeness will ever be. And this is what happens around that table with Matthew and his buddies. They are all there, not because they have it all together. They are there. I mean, we don't even know their names. All we know is their weakness. Sinners and tax collectors. I mean, you might as well have called them felons and, you know, the people that you wouldn't leave your children with. And they are there united by their brokenness and their need for Jesus. And yet our temptation is to try to build relationships based upon our pretend wholeness on the places we have it all together. And there's a reason why. Being vulnerable is terrifying. And even if you've done it before, it never gets easier. I'd been here about six months when I was preaching a message and I had to talk about a passage that talked about anxiety. And so I walked out on the stage and I talked to you about my struggle with anxiety, which was itself anxiety inducing. (laughs) I can remember the first time I told you about the fact that I was in counseling and I was terrified because I'd been in other churches where that was enough to get you fired. I'm like, why am I going to tell people that? Or the time that I told you about the the season in which I didn't even tithe to the church that I was working at. The the time I could tell you that I I didn't didn't feel like God was even real anymore. He wasn't hearing my prayers. Being vulnerable never gets easier. But let me tell you that every single time I tell a story where I look really good, you know, it's one of those flex selfie stories. I don't hear from anybody. But when I tell the other stories, I can't even get out to the lobby. So why is it that we try to connect with one another through our strengths? Where when what bonds us together is honesty about our wounds and our weaknesses. It's terrifying. One-on-one or in front of a big group. But it is the way that God has orchestrated the world that we connect with him and we connect with each other. And it is the way we have to live today because we live in a world that is inherently skeptical about people of faith. You work in a world that is skeptical if you as a person of faith offer any value and can't be trusted. And where you live and where you work and where you study and when you play, people are watching you and trying to figure out if you're real. And they don't want to hear about the time that you killed it in your performance or the great marriage you have or how perfect your kids are. What do they want to do? They want to watch you struggle because they know that in your struggle they will see what's real. And in a skeptical world, they don't need to see us in our strengths. They need to see us walk through our wounds. 
this picture here in Matthew 10 of Jesus reclining at a table with many tax collectors and sinners is the picture we see of Jesus again and again. People who were nothing like him liked him the most. People who were most uh, at odds with religion were at home with Jesus. Jesus seemed attracted to people who were the least like him. Why? Because they were honest about their wounds and their brokenness. They were a hot mess and they didn't need anybody to tell them because they already knew it. And sometimes our good intentions and things that we get in for good reasons, like our Sunday best, become barriers to the kind of relationships we want with other people and the kinds of relationships we want with God. Sometimes when we get more formal, we get more edited. And we edit out the truth. And there's a, there's a, a, a other side to this that I have to talk about. And it's the, the part of the reaction to this that my generation has embraced, which is just, I'm just being real. I'm just being honest. I'm just speaking my truth. Hey, this is me. I said last week something that I want to follow up on. I said that Jesus meets us as we are, not as we wish he were. And this is 100% true, and I 100% believe it. And so if, if you are here today, Jesus loves you exactly where you are right now. Not where you wish you were, but right here, right now. But there's a larger truth that this encompasses as well. Jesus meets us where we are, and he never leaves us there. This is the story of Matthew. He meets him at his tax collecting booth, cheating people out of their money. And he leads him to the place where 2,000 years later, you know his name. Because of how he lived with faith and trust in Jesus. You may be in a place where you are profoundly broken today. And you're tempted to hide that from other people and hide it from God. And yet that is the exact place where Jesus meets you and loves you. But here's the thing. You are totally safe with Jesus, but he's not going to let you stay comfortable. He's going to meet you where you are, and he's not going to leave you there. And some of you today came in with wounds, and Jesus is going to meet you in your wound. But what he's going to do is he's going to allow that to scab and then to scar. And woundedness is your wound being torn open and torn open and torn open and torn open and torn open, never scabbing and never scarring. And if your wound never scabs and it never scars, it can never be of service to others. Let me say it this way. Your wound will, be always, will always be part of your story, but it doesn't always have to bleed. You're never not going to be the survivor of abuse. You're never going to be able to go back and undo the divorce and the pain that it brought. You're not going to be able to go back and remove that period of your life where you were an addict. Your wound will always be part of your story, but it doesn't always have to bleed. 
And what God can do is like in the story of the bent woman and Matthew, he can take the place where you've been wounded, he can touch it, he can heal it, and he can use it to give you an ability to connect with other people in a way that you don't understand. And we have got to stop trying to minister to a world as if we are above them with no wounds. We've got to allow Jesus to heal our wounds so we can come alongside them as someone who has experienced the very healing they need. In that period where I was wearing my Sunday best, I stumbled on a song, and I'm going to ask Jamie to come out right now, wherever he is, and we're going to sing just a snippet of that song before we move into communion today. The song is called Holiness, and there's a line in that song about brokenness. And if this is something that you sense you want God to do in your life, then Jamie's going to lead us in singing this together. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. Brokenness, brokenness is what I long for. Brokenness is what I need. Brokenness, brokenness is what you want for me. So take my heart, so take my heart and mold it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours, to yours, oh Lord, to yours, and to yours, to yours, oh Lord. If you just want to keep playing, Jamie, I'm going to ask you to turn your notes over to the next steps. There's some things I want to encourage you to do this week as you, you process what you've heard today. I want you to review that chart we started out with and determine if you're living from woundedness or brokenness. I think it's safe to say that life is going to mark all of us. We're all going to be wounded. The question is, where do we do with it? Do we stay in woundedness or do we move to brokenness? Number two, I want you to name the wounds which need to be healed in your life and consciously invite Jesus' presence there. Maybe you've been holding on to those things and hiding them, and instead you need to begin inviting them as places where Jesus would meet you. There may be a step, like a, a 1A or a 1B, that you need to spend some time by yourself or with a counselor or with a friend identifying what those wounds are. Maybe you know that you're wounded, but you don't even have any idea what those wounds even are. You just see the effects of them. But that's part of the process, too. Number three, when you're tempted to create distance between you and someone who isn't like you, I want to encourage you to pause and consider what wounds may have marked them. Because if you're wounded, they probably are too. And if your wounds are impacting your relationships, theirs probably are too. And then number four, I want to invite you to pray, asking Jesus to make your wounds and brokenness a bridge to connecting other people to him. I know it's hard for some of you to believe that God could use your wound because you want to be done with it. 
But that's the story of what we call the gospel. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, there's this very interesting section. It says that Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs and our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We're going to close the service today by celebrating communion. The reminder that it was his wounds that are our hope. It's his wounds that have brought us healing. And I'm going to ask Jamie to just play quietly while we pass the elements. We're going to take them together and then we're going to sing a song together as we close. Is that all right, Jamie? Okay. So I just encourage you to to pray, to reflect, to be quiet as you receive the two cups. Hold on to those two cups and the one stack together and then we'll come back and take communion together in a moment. Thank you.